I'm Dr. Stephanie Champion. And I'm Dr. Tamara Agnew. And today we're talking to Dr. Susan Close, who is the deputy leader of the South Australian branch of the Australian Labor Party. And amongst other interesting tidbits she'll be sharing with us today, uh, Susan will be talking to us about the experience she had in challenging her own supervisor's work. In this series of career sessions, all of our guests hold doctorates in their chosen field, and we invite them to talk about their pathway from PhD candidate to present day. We ask them what they've learned, and we also ask them to give advice to people who might be thinking about a career in research when they've finished school or when they've finished their undergraduate degree. Welcome to Career Sessions with your hosts, Steph and Tamara, proudly sponsored by Inspiring South Australia. Okay, so today we're talking to Dr. Susan Close. Uh, she studied political science at Flinders University and in 1997 she completed a PhD thesis entitled The Australian Labor Party 1983 to 1991 Traditions Under Challenge. Since then, she has held positions as an executive director at the South Australian Department for Environment and Natural Resources and manager of student services at Adelaide University. Susan was first elected to the South Australian House of Assembly seat of Port Adelaide in 2012, holding portfolios in education and innovation, manufacturing and automotive transformation. And since 2018, she has served as the deputy leader of the South Australian branch of the Australian Labor Party. In her free time, Susan continues her relationship with Flinders University as an adjunct professor of business, government and law. Thanks, so, Tamara. <laughs> thank you. Great thank summary. You. <laughs> if you can just talk about what your current role is um, and what your day looks like right now. Oh, that's interesting because it's so different given the pandemic. Uh, so my job is to be it's multiple jobs really. Mm -hmm. I'm the member for Port Adelaide so I have an obligation to the people who choose to send me to Parliament on their behalf. I am the Deputy Leader of the Labor Party so it's important that I uh, support my leader, mm -hmm. that I uh, am very active with the team and making sure that things are going well for the team. And then I'm also the holder of a couple of shadow portfolios, education and environment. Mm -hmm. As you may have picked up, they're the two things that I've spent <laughs> a lot of time doing uh, in my whole life. And so they're the ones that I decided to have as, as my portfolios. So my day, uh, if it's not a pandemic, my day is probably, or you know, my week is probably up to 30% of interacting with people that might be going to presentation nights of local sporting clubs or graduations, uh, fundraising dinners for um, various groups. Uh, that's a little harder right now, obviously. Mm -hmm. And uh, so my interactions with people are different and not, not as many, sadly. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I spend quite a bit of time thinking about uh, policy talking to people now using Zoom about uh, you know what they'd like to see in education, what's going on with the environment. I had a phone hookup yesterday about marine parks, for example, mm -hmm. where we really went into what we're going to do about the government's proposal uh, to damage marine parks. Uh, and uh, I'm also trying to spend a little bit of time uh, writing about education. I'm mm -hmm. trying to sort of uh, make sure that I don't lose that capacity mm -hmm. to do a bit of research and a bit of writing. But that's very much kind of my private little project that I <laughs> just keep ticking over in the background. Yeah, so despite the pandemic, trying to be very accessible to people and, and having That's those conversations. Right. And, and, you know, we're in an age of social media. We're in an age where you can have Zoom. Mm -hmm. uh, I dropped into a 
a, a meeting of the Junction Community Centre, which is a fantastic community centre in my electorate. They had their their management meeting using that technology, and so I was able to drop in. Mm-hmm. And as a result, they raised an issue with me that I then raised in Parliament, and I put that on my Facebook, and people have engaged with that. Yep. So, you know, it's an awful thing that we're all experiencing, but the technology that we have is softening uh, some of that experience. Yeah. I couldn't imagine what this would have been like if it had happened 20 years ago and, very, and very email was dial-up. and 1918. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> indeed. Yeah. indeed. So can we go back um, and talk about your family and, and when did you know that you wanted to go to university? So did your parents go to university and were you always going to be going to university? Yeah. Uh, look, I'm one of those really privileged people. I'm not a first in family. My mother was first in family. Uh, she That my parents are English. And my mother came from a pretty poor background, like incredibly hardworking and definitely the nicest of the grandparents of my mother, <laughs> were my mother's parents. Uh, really good, good people, but they didn't go to high school, either of my uh, grandparents. Mm-hmm. So my mother uh, was very bright, born just as the war was starting and uh, benefited from the grammar school system and got a scholarship to Oxford. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she was just really dedicated to her education and so were her parents. Mm-hmm. My father, far more privileged background, both of his parents went to university. So the fact that my father's mother went to university, that goes a fair way back, yeah. doesn't yeah. it, given how old I am. Yeah. Uh, and of course, so he was always going to go to university. Now, he, because he came from a more privileged background, finished school three years earlier than my mother did. Mm-hmm. So that my I'm quite unusual in having a father is three years younger than my mother mm. because they met at university. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those sort of foundational stories for our family is that um, even with all of the class system going on in the UK, they were able to meet in a place uh, of, of education they would never have met otherwise. It's, it's just a great no equaliser that remarkable um, access equalizer. to higher education. And so then they came to Australia because my father got a job at Flinders University not long after it started up mm-hmm. and my mother subsequently did too. So the mm-hmm. only job that my parents have ever had is Flinders University and so I grew up kind of I'm going to you go knew to Flinders University. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So they moved you for a job that yeah. really your parents right. would have came for a job. Oh, it's, that's that's really cool. And you went to university straight after high school? I did. And I kind of hit a wall after second year. So it's even more so the case now. But even then, year 11 is quite taxing. Year mm. 12 is very demanding. Yeah, I'll never go back to that. That was that was the worst. My son is doing year 12 <laughs> at the moment. And I just feel for him so much. Um, especially in the pandemic. Right? Uh, well, yeah. I think it's a get out of jail free card in some ways. <laughs> it's like, well, we'll never know what I would have got. <laughs> But but anyway, so um, you know, year twelve is is really demanding, and then first year uni, it's just a whole different universe of, mm. of the way that you study. Uh, year uh, then second year, and I just went, you know, I can't like there's got to be more to life. Mm-hmm. And I was, I like to say the only good thing that sixty minutes has ever ever done. I watched a sixty minutes show about Greenpeace and the work that they were doing, and I went, you know. I'm going to go and do that. So I went part-time, I uh, did third year over two years and I did honours over two years mm-hmm. and I volunteered and occasionally was employed by Greenpeace and just became an utter greening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and that saved me, you know, the people I met then uh, and my engagement and also when you're studying, if you have to do something else at the same time, you're you're a bit more efficient with your work, I think. Mm, yes. So it didn't do any harm to my, to my degree other than I took longer. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I love study, but I've never been able to just study. It, it gives you an outlet and it gives you an opportunity to have a fresh 
mind when you sit down to it, I think, to have other It's a very different things. perspective as well. If you've never been in the wider world when you're at university, it, your, your perspective might be a bit more narrow. Mm-hmm. That's so. so true. And, you know, one of the subjects I was studying was politics. And so to be engaging in politics yeah. as well as studying it is kind of enriched both. Yeah. And so did you know what you, that you wanted to study politics when you left school? Is that, was that no. always your ambition? No, uh, although I joined the Labor Party at 15. <laughs> uh, so, so kind of inevitable in a way. Uh, I, uh, in, that I was in year 11 and Bob Hawke won the election in 1983 and I got all excited and I, I want to be, see, this is the thing, I get excited and enthusiastic and I join up. So <laughs> first of all, it was the Labor Party and then it was Greenpeace. Um, and so I uh, I didn't think about studying politics initially. I didn't know anyone who'd study, studied politics. And so I started with a very broad degree. Um, so I did three years of French. I did a year of Italian in first year. And I did two years of biology because I loved biology at school and I loved the environment. Mm-hmm. And then I sort of started politics in second year and caught up so that it became my second major really mm-hmm. quickly because I suddenly went, oh, this is what I'm supposed to be studying. Mm-hmm. I love this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's nice that you can have that that sort of that light goes on. It doesn't have to be at the end of school, but we'll, we'll yeah. go back into that a bit <laughs> further. <laughs> what was your undergraduate degree at the end of all that? Uh, yeah, so it was a Bachelor of Arts and it was in the days, I think you can kind of still do this, but it was very much, you didn't do named degrees back yeah. then. So it was a BA and I did uh, po- politics. Major. Politics and French were my two majors mm-hmm. and then the third line was made up of a bit of Italian and a bit of biology. Yeah. Brilliant. And I still speak a little bit of Italian, you know. I still speak <laughs> you can quite good French. And, <laughs> yeah. Yes. And in fact, they trot me out now um, uh, when we are doing work as, as a Labour Party mm. and we're doing a video because we can't go to functions. They say, oh, you can speak Italian. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's brilliant. You never waste anything that you've learned, I, yep. I find. <laughs> And so then after your bachelor's, did you go on and you did a an I did honours? an honours in politics, that's yeah. right, yeah. And that was partly I had a sense that I hadn't sort of grown up enough to go out into the world mm-hmm. yet and that's actually when we get to it why I kept doing the PhD. Uh, but also it's a sense of kind of completing the, the a bit of bachelor's a yeah. was to, to that exactly, to yeah. finish it off with the honours. Yeah. Um, and so then at the end of honours... Did you leave the university or did you stick no, around and do no, the PhD I did. Well, right away? I went around a uh, Australia in a combi van <laughs> for three months, <laughs> which was great fun. Um, and then I came back and I, I went straight into the PhD. And look, I I didn't ever think I'd do a PhD. It was never part of the plan and I never wanted to be an academic mm. because that's what my parents did. So I was going to do something different. But there were no jobs. Uh, so yep. this was a time when uh, the state bank had happened, where there were uh, no public service jobs in South Australia. Uh, I was very committed to staying here. I, um, I I put in an application for the Commonwealth Public Service, but I wanted to be based here. Mm-hmm. They didn't have any jobs here at all. They were like, would you come to Canberra? I, I sometimes reflect mm-hmm. what would have happened if I'd gone. But anyway, no. <laughs> so sliding so doors moment. <laughs> no jobs and there was a scholarship. So yep. it kind of seemed a simple thing to yep. go, well, I'll just keep studying for a bit longer. <laughs> uh, but I kept up my activism uh, with the Wilderness Society by then. And, uh, you know, I, I was married. I 
was renovating a house. So there was a pretty full life going on, which is my excuse for why it took me quite a long time to finish my PhD. (laughs) Uh, So your PhD project was with a scholarship. Did that then dictate what your topic could be? Not at all. Or you had complete freedom? Absolutely. It was a Flinders Uni scholarship Mm -hmm. and it was basically, I don't know, a couple of hundred dollars a week um, which was a fortune oh, it's dismal. then. It's dismal, but <laughs> you can live on it. It was brilliant then. Uh, and, and, you know, a bit of tutoring and just go for your life. Uh, mm-hmm. So I was very, very grateful. I've been, I have so many reasons to be grateful to my university, not least that I'm Australian because they employed my father yeah. uh, <laughs> and also then they employed me. So when did you come to your topic? And what, so we, we've just read out your t- uh, thesis title, but what was the question that you were going to answer? Well, here's kind of how it evolved. Uh, so I've, as I said, I've been a member of the Labor Party for a long time and they were very exciting times if you're of that political persuasion. The Hawke-Keating government changed Australia. Uh, Whitlam changed Australia, but in this kind of flash that disappeared. Mm-hmm. The magic of the Hawke-Keating government was that it lasted long enough mm-hmm. for a whole lot of reforms mm-hmm. to be bedded in. So Whitlam had put in a version of Medicare but it was taken out again by the Liberals when they came back in. The fact that Hawke and Keating did so much work early and then uh, embedded it, Medicare became something that people would not allow anyone Them to, to take, take away. away. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yep. So success is success in a way. You know, you yep. win elections and that actually makes a difference uh, to, to the longevity of the reforms that you make. So that was very shaping of my entire time of being at university, the fact that there was this government and I was active in the Labor Party. So uh, Dean Gentry was my supervisor at uh, in my honours as well and is a lovely, lovely human being, had written a book that I took uh, exception to, I mm. took umbrage with, <laughs> which was the Hawke-Keating hijack, which basically said that Hawke and Keating had come and completely upended the Labor Party and it was nothing like Labor and mm. they'd kind of turned it into a different entity. And uh, I thought that was wrong. So I wrote an entire thesis with him as my supervisor (laughs) saying that that was wrong. And he was such a a gentleman. Uh, He supported me. He employed me to do some research for him. He he was terrific. So he clearly wasn't offended by you. A very good human being. Uh, We had a bet on the 1993 election uh, because he thought that Keating would lose and I thought probably, uh, you know, he was saying, oh, it's your heart, not your head. But I was right, we won. So uh, uh, it, it was a tremendous time in my life and uh, that's really what the thesis is about the idea that there is an there is a kernel of what it means to be in labor that exists but it looks different according to the times that you're facing mm-hmm. so the idea of uh, laborism of supporting the workers of uh, pushing power from the top down has never gone away mm-hmm. but the guise in which you see that the policies um can vary and uh, very much so the the freeing up of the economy the introduction of real competitiveness in our in our economy was incredibly painful for Australia, but almost certainly is the reason that we had until the pandemic 30 years of uninterrupted growth, Mm -hmm. that that Labor did that really hard work. And it did look different, but it delivered because Labor was able to sit down with the unions and was able to have an accord with business and the unions and and to shake up this country and modernise it. And I feel that that's a fundamentally Labor project and that's Mm -hmm. what my thesis was about. So does your thesis sit in the library at the it does. parliament? 
It does. And in in uh, oh, it probably is in Parliament. It's at Flinders as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was the candidate for Port Adelaide, mm-hmm. I know of one. I won't name the person, but one <laughs> former member of Parliament who went and borrowed it to have a look because they told me someone's <laughs> come and had a look at your thesis. <laughs> I think just like who is she? What is she up to? Yeah. Uh, oh, that's no, nice because often your theses are read only by. Yourself you and, and your mum. examiners yeah. and your mum. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one extra person's read that day. <laughs> yes. So, I mean, one of my uh, probably abiding regrets, although I don't spend any time thinking about it, is I never did anything with the thesis. Mm. I was sick of it by the time it was finished. I was working at the University of Adelaide. Uh, I didn't even go to my graduation, uh, <sighs> which is a very small, funny story, uh, but I didn't go and uh, I, I because I'd moved on. Mm. So it was done... Thank you very much, but I'm now, in Next. fact, I remember I was at the graduation working as the director of Wiltoyolo, which is the Aboriginal uh, organisation within the University of Adelaide that supports Aboriginal students. And I was the non-Aboriginal um, acting director mm-hmm. while we were between uh, uh, Mercy Glastonbury uh, was the director, had an illness that she needed to go and take care of and they were l- recruiting. It was then Roger Thomas. It became Roger Thomas. So I had this little window. So that filled my life. And uh, so what happened was I thought, well, I can't, I don't really want to go to a graduation. Little did I know my future would be sitting at other people's graduations. Uh, and I you know, I'd had my, uh, my bachelor's graduation, I had my honours graduation, and I couldn't be bothered, I was busy. And then I had a moment of regret because my poor mother sits at Flinders graduations when she was an academic there. Mm. She'd sit there and watch everybody else's child do this. <laughs> and I thought, oh, the poor thing, I should. So I phoned up and they said, Susan, we would love to give you a, a, a you know, the possibility of doing that. But it was this morning. Oh. <laughs> so I'd managed to forget the date as well. Oh. <laughs> so it wasn't meant to be. Oh. oh, you didn't wear the floppy hat. No, but... As Minister for Education, I went to a graduation and they dressed me up, you know, yeah, as, oh, because yeah. I was the speaker and I had a photo taken and I gave it to my mother. That's See? it. See? <laughs> You've done it. <laughs> Maybe you didn't walk across the stage, but you were on the stage. I was on the stage, <laughs> talking on the stage with the hat on. Exactly. <laughs> you talked about the, the question that you answered, but how did you answer that question? So what was your methodology? So it was a combination of primary and secondary research, as you'd expect. Uh, lots of reading of other writers who were analysing at the time. Paul Kelly, who I think still writes for The Australian, but had written a a very, very important book called The Age of Uncertainty Mm -hmm. uh, that uh, that I found very useful. Um, There'll be dozens of other books that I'm no longer (laughs) recalling, of course. Uh, But I also did interviews. Mm -hmm. So I went to Canberra and interviewed uh, various politicians, Interviewed Neil Blewett while he was still here in South Australia in the uh, the member for I think it was called Elizabeth then certainly in that area, mm-hmm. uh, and asked them how they felt Labor had changed and how it hadn't changed, mm-hmm. uh, and you know the Labor Party, particularly at that time, still to a degree had incredible intellects. Mm -hmm. So to interview Neil Blewett, who'd been a professor at my university, to interview uh, Barry Jones uh, was really a privilege to get their insight from the inside of the Labor Mm. Party. Uh, And then it was really um, just a big kind of brawling argument with my supervisor, which is fantastic. (laughs) It's very good for you. (laughs) It's very good for you to have a supervisor who wants you to succeed but doesn't necessarily think that everything you're saying is right. Mm-hmm. It's a really good process. It must have been interesting for him marking chapters going, 
Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't I know, know whether I agree with that, but I'm going to let you have it. I'll just let it fly. <laughs> the main thing is, have you sustained an argument? Yeah. And yes. uh, that's what he was there for. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, he was he was absolutely tremendous. And so did Hawke or Keating, did you interview them? No, or? I didn't. Um, I had... I should have had the audacity to ask them, shouldn't I? Uh, but I didn't even think that that would be possible. As a PhD student, you don't. No, know. no, <laughs> no. Okay. no yeah. Yeah. I met Bob Hawke many years later and told him what I'd written, and he was just so generous and sweet. Yeah, he was a, a, a good man in many ways. Yes. Um, so what are some of the challenges that you encountered during your PhD? Uh I am not very good. So the challenges were largely my my own challenges, who I am. Uh, I am not a natural student in the set or academic in the sense that I don't particularly like working alone. Mm-hmm. I like being part of a team. In fact, I think that's evolved uh, and now in, you know, I'm now in my 50s and I am much more willing and in fact crave a bit of alone time. Mm. Back then, in my early 20s, I wanted to be part of a group. And so, you know, it's great having a supervisor, but in the end, a PhD is a very, very lonely task. Mm. It is your work. And I found I was fighting against myself. And when I finished it and and got it through, the pride I felt was not an intellectual pride. It was a conquering of my uh, self-pride, that I was... For able to do something that wasn't naturally something that I relished, mm-hmm. and and that felt good. Um, there were, uh, I'm sure, and it's so long ago now, but I'm sure that there were a whole lot of methodological issues. Uh, I think I went for a little while on a on a journey where I thought I might do a survey, and then mm-hmm. I pulled back and didn't. So a lot of uh, dead ends that happen in research yeah. that can be kind of. Um, Dispiriting, yeah, yeah. And you th- dedicate work to something, and then go, wait, no, that yeah. was a dead end. It's a few, it's a few steps back, isn't yeah. it? And, and having the courage to do that, yes, mm-hmm. is uh, part of the growth of doing a PhD. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, totally. Teaches your resilience. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, I say I never really did anything with the PhD. So I didn't do any publications, but I did do something because I had the rest of my life, and it uh, doing it shaped that profoundly. It shaped my it, understanding of what I'm capable of, including doing things that I don't really like doing, which Mm -hmm. is very important in success. Um, And also, kind of ridiculously in a way, it is a shorthand to people thinking that you're smart. Yeah. And that's silly because I know some pretty silly people who've done PhDs. (laughs) And also I know really smart people who haven't gone to uni at all or, you know, just did their ordinary degrees. But nonetheless, I'm sure that I've benefited from, oh, doctor. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Do you whip that title out when you? <laughs> no. Um, in fact, when I first stood for politics, I was in a very, very difficult um, fight because although Port Adelaide is a brilliant seat and it's a good Labor seat, uh, it was a by-election mm. and it was a tough by-election. I was completely unknown, uh, although I'd lived in the area for 10 years at that mm. point. But, uh, you know, I'd been busy. I'd had children. I was working. And so I wasn't known in the community. And the local mayor, who was very well known and had grown up in the area, decided to run as an independent. And by-elections are when independents win safe seats from governments, mm. uh, which is what we were. So that was really tough. And he used my my title mm. as a weapon. Uh-huh. So I was he like, would she say, can't understand Doctor you. Susan Close, uh-huh. like it was some yeah. sort so of she's an elite. Yeah. 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 And um, 
and I've never wanted to use it that way. Mm. Uh, I now have it in Parliament as my title because I didn't want to have the on. Mm. Uh, this is a, a weird uh, side alley, but I don't like that politicians are called honourable because mm. it implies that others aren't. Mm. And not all politicians are honourable, <laughs> let's be honest. Uh, and so after I stopped being a minister, um, I was allowed to choose, did I want to ask to keep the title? Mm -hmm. And I said no. And so then my title reverted to doctor. Mm -hmm. So, oh, that wasn't necessarily what I was after either, but I'm okay with it because <laughs> well, I did do it that. and yep. I did earn yeah. it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yes, we, we, someone said yesterday they, um, the first time they heard someone use it was when they got on a plane and they said, oh, Dr. Ferber, and he went, <laughs> <laughs> I have had the experience on international flights where the attendant has come up and said, so, you know, what? what you're a doctor, are you? And I've oh, realised, no, they're yep. not actually interested that I've got a PhD. They want to know if I'm a medical doctor. Yes. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> am I hand stroke? Is it not me? <laughs> So actually, actually, don't look at me. Don't, don't make eye contact. No. <laughs> Not a useful one, I always say. <laughs> yeah, actually, that's what I revert to. Somebody says, oh, a doctor. I'm like, oh, no, not a real doctor. No, Which so... is ironic because actually it's the other way around, <laughs> yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. But, but for all intents and purposes, we yeah. are not useful doctors in a very tight situation. <laughs> it's like, I, okay, I, about I, I, can't help you. <laughs> I can't help you with your heart attack, but I can talk about how prevalent it is in society and the, the social determinants that lead to heart attacks. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's not helpful for the guy beautiful. clutching his heart. <laughs> yeah. So you said your challenge, one of the challenges was uh, the loneliness but and that you were uh, the excitement. Well, was there an exciting part other than getting to the finishing line? Did Actually, find... that's a really good point. Um, the life was exciting. So uh, loneliness in my work on the PhD but loved the other students I was with. Uh, as you can tell, really, really loved my uh, supervisor, loved being part of academic life, uh, we all tutored uh, to supplement the mm. the um, mm -hmm. scholarship, and uh, I really enjoyed that. So I that was a very golden time for me, the academic student experience, mm -hmm. um, and I, I look back on it fondly. I'm really glad I did it. Yeah. it I was lucky. I was lucky. I largely escaped hex. I think the second year of my honours part time got hex. So mm -hmm. I'm I'm one of that generation, mm -hmm. and uh, I'm so grateful and so sad for kids now that oh. the it's pressure. Oh, sorry, it's iconically called help now. Mm -hmm. Oh, is it? <laughs> Which yep. stands for higher yeah. education loan. I have no idea. I actually studied in uh, my undergraduate degree in Edinburgh. And so because I was, had lived there for so many years, I was actually a uh, resident. So I didn't pay for my undergraduate degree. And then I came here and I didn't pay for my my PhD. So I am also very, very privileged and very, very fortunate. And I think my kids are just like, uh, maybe I'm going to be paying off my hex debt for at least the next six or seven wow. years and I at least managed to get through before the big uprise like the 25 percent increase I got through before that so I feel quite privileged to have only paid 40,000 for my education 
Um, so and, and the consequences uh, on what you can do with your income because mm. it's been constrained. So can you invest in a house? Mm-hmm. Can you, you know, do um, travel, uh, travel, volunteering, yeah. you know, experiment a bit with your career? Uh, but also what you study, I'm sure, is constrained by the mm. fact that people now are paying for it. Yeah, and, and some degrees are more expensive than others. So mm-hmm. That's right. And mm-hmm. the name, the rise of the name degrees, the rise of professional the courses rather or, than yeah. uh, general degrees like mine. I mean, what did I I think I was doing with politics, French, Italian, and biology. <laughs> it, I wasn't thinking about you what were I was well going to do. With it. I was learning. Yeah, I was feeding a... my brain and my personality, yep. and uh, I, I worry very much that we don't give young people that opportunity no. as easily now. Because yours was a, must have been a really rich experience to be able to explore politics and humanities and or languages sciences, and that's science. Right. Uh, it's just... And I don't know if you know the Flinders. Uh, layout but uh, so there's a lake in the middle mm-hmm. and I was on three points around that lake so I was I've never been fitter yeah. <laughs> down stairs yeah, they, they do make hills. you work for it there yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah yeah now they've got the now they've got the bus yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <It's> soft <laughs> um so Reflecting on all the work you did do in your PhD, so even though you didn't have any publications that came out of it, um, what was the value of your project? So what came out of it? Yeah, so to other people, I'm not sure. I guess you'd have to go to one of the libraries that has a copy. You have a product read out it there. and see yeah. if people, uh, you know, get anything out of it. But it has informed, well, as I said earlier, it's informed me, it helped me grow, uh, it gave me uh, an acceleration in how I was able to get into my career when I did start it. Uh, but also it's in it, the contents of it has informed me as later on a Labor mm-hmm. politician. And I give a lot of talks. Uh, I'm, you know, last night I was on a sub-branch meeting on Zoom as the guest speaker. And uh, I'm not saying that every single time what I, that period I studied is relevant, but it's remarkable how often it is yeah. because it was so shaping for Australia, but shaping for the Labor Party. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was part of my thesis was looking at the faction system, and uh, I went on this weird experience uh, for a while. I think I was president of the party at the time, and we decided that we'd go to sub branches as a right member, of the right member of the left, and a, an unaligned member, and give talks about factions. And so what I'd done in my PhD gave me a lot broader sense mm-hmm. than just my own personal experience. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of people that have heard me speak and a lot of that's been informed by the PhD. Mm-hmm. So it might not be direct, here's my publication, but it's informed who I am and that's informed people that are uh, And you are lucky uniquely to <laughs> located to really make an impact. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And, and we want our, our politicians to be educated and, and experts. And now, of course, my association with Linda's Uni, I uh, have not given any lectures this year because of the pandemic, <laughs> but uh, in the last couple of years I've given a number of seminars and lectures mm-hmm. uh, about my experience but informed by my understanding that I gained through my study. Mm-hmm. And so do you use many of your research skills in your role now? Yes. Um, I don't know. Once you've gone through university and particularly through the rigours of a PhD, I don't know that you ever don't think that way in a, mm. in a way. It changes, it changes the way your brain it, yeah, it works. Exactly. Uh, and in particular, when I am contemplating a policy area, I'm quite methodical about how I equip myself with the knowledge that's necessary. Uh, with becoming a minister, you don't 
unless you're the Premier and the Deputy Premier, you don't get to choose what you're going to do. The Premier forms a view or the leader in opposition forms a view and you're given it. So in 2014, when we formed government, I'd been a backbencher for a couple of years leading up to that. And the Premier, Jay Weatherall, rang me up and said, uh, you know, I'd, I'd been selected to be on the front bench and he said okay so what you're getting is and just read it out and I'm scribbling down what is this thing I'm doing <laughs> and so it was that manufacturing and innovation uh, portfolio uh, and and trade briefly which is another story and I didn't know anything about it mm -hmm. but I was not an ignorant person mm -hmm. and that's the idea of politics is that you don't have experts because they can't you can't always have you know a doctor or a nurse or a physiotherapist be the head of health mm -hmm. you know and which one would you choose if you were mm -hmm. to yep. or an epidemiologist perhaps uh, so so you can't have these an expert what you're supposed to be is an intelligent generalist but once you're given the portfolio you need to learn a lot about it pretty quickly. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, and, he, and you know, just less than a year later, Jay phoned me up again and said, uh, so oh, actually, <laughs> Tuesday, you'll be education minister, <laughs> which is uh, absolute gold, like the best yeah. job yeah. ever. <laughs> but uh, I often say to people, and it was my just the most extraordinary experience of my career, and it will probably never be bettered being education minister here for three years. But I had to learn to be education minister while being education minister. And mm -hmm. to do that, I needed to be able to research. I needed. I read a lot. I essentially interviewed people, although they thought I was just having a conversation with them. <laughs> and I built up a picture of how does this work and what isn't working. And that's what a PhD really is, is, is trying to understand how the thing that you're looking at works and whether there are ways that don't work that could be fixed mm -hmm. or what the critiques are, what the major philosophies are. And uh, that, so the, the approach that I took, I think, was very much informed by having been at university and particularly yeah. doing Because it PhD. teaches you how to... Not, I suppose, not just throw the first thing at it to, to be able to really think about critically, and critically think mm. about and look That's at where, right. what works in other places and and That's right. and yeah. where's the data? So, so what happens when you're a minister in particular? It's you're much freer in opposition. Is that there's an entire department that has seen ministers come and ministers go, mm. and they tell you essentially out of the best of their good natures, they tell you what to think. Mm -hmm. And that isn't necessarily the only way to think about it. Mm -hmm. So you have to have the capacity to interrogate and show me the data. And uh, a criti critical thinking is you know, the, the golden skill, right? Mm -hmm. That doesn't look right. I that doesn't make sense to me because I know this. Go away, to think about it some more. Tell me again in a in a different way, or have another look at the data. Yeah. So, in, it very very useful to have had those skills. Now there are a range of skills that make a good minister, and you don't have to have been an academic. But that was my path, so mm -hmm. I used my knowledge and my approach. So, do you think you'd be where you are now without a PhD? Uh, it's the unanswerable, isn't yeah. it? Where, do, how much does your past that every element of your past is mm -hmm. essential to get you where you are. Um, probably, I, I, it was probably essential. It's You're certainly already very, on that path. very shaping. Yeah. Very yeah. shaping. We've talked about your experience. Did you feel like uh, that you needed to make any sacrifices or um, any compromises along the way while you were doing your PhD? Uh, I guess I, in the early years of having you know, proper work, I wondered if I ha was behind, that if I'd started work earlier, would that have been better mm -hmm. uh, for me? But that's, again, it's unknowable, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but no, I, I have no negative feeling and no real 
regret about those choices. And mm-hmm. would you do it again? <clears throat> um, uh, well, I, I would tell my younger self to do it again. I'd probably say to have a bit of a hurry up. Like, to- <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so did you Don't mention how long did it take you to complete well, your I can't actually remember when I started it. Um, <laughs> well, and I know I couldn't find that information online when I well, looked. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? I've probably suppressed it in some way. <laughs> no, not that friends with Google. Um, so, it, look, it took at least five years. Mm. Yeah, I think around five. And... Uh, yeah, so that that would be about right. Three years of a scholarship and, and well, a couple of years. Well, PhD now after. is sort of uh, three years is how long you get. Um, could you have done the PhD you did in three years? A normal human being definitely could have, <laughs> and so therefore I should have been able to. But I was on a journey, yeah, and I needed that time in a way. Uh, that was just how how my understanding unfolded and what else I was doing in my life unfolded. Yeah. I didn't stop being uh, active with the environment movement during the time. For example, I yeah. didn't stop being active with the Labor Party and I would have been unwilling to make that sacrifice yeah. to, and I might not have been successful because I don't like being alone. That might have pushed me to go, well, actually, I'm not going I'm to not do gonna this. I'm not going to finish it, yeah. So for me, it worked the way it was. Uh, different circumstances, you find something in yourself, don't you, and you mm-hmm. succeed anyway mm-hmm. usually, but I'm glad I had it the way I did. If for anyone who's contemplating a PhD who's listening, obviously if somebody asks you, it probably is, comes down to the individual, but for people who are listening, what would you say about if they're thinking about postgraduate studies? Um, I, I think... Uh, it depends on what you're sacrificing to do it. So I was in the best possible situation to do it. I, now, it, uh, if you're if you're having to spend a lot of money to do it, or you're giving away an opportunity to have a career um, for a period of time, that's quite a big sacrifice with an unknown payoff. So I certainly wouldn't say that a PhD is the only way to be successful and to have used your your university time. Uh, an undergraduate degree is a very useful thing to have and you learn a lot and you get a lot of the discipline of study from it if you do it properly. However, if you can find a way to do a PhD and it's something that sort of calls to you, it is a a source of sort of quiet pride that you can have. You've done the thing that is the ultimate in your study experience. Mm-hmm. You've got the PhD. Uh, so don't feel trapped by it. Don't think that if you don't do a PhD, then somehow it's not worth having been at university. You know, yeah. it isn't necessary. But if there's a way to do it and you have the desire to do it, Certainly if you start it, finish it (laughs) because you'll always regret that. And a lot of my friends, and I would say they were academically much brighter than I was, didn't finish. It's a really hard road to not just start one but to finish one. Mm -hmm. So if you've started, please finish it. You will feel very good about that. What about uh, the kids at high school who might be thinking about their future pathways um, and making the decision of going to university and then what to study when they get there? And that pressure to make decisions as well at at 17. At 17, decide. (laughs) Uh, Look, and I've always said I never knew what I wanted to do when I grew up, but the the point is not to necessarily have the answer to the end of the story, but it can't be nothing that you're doing today, tomorrow and next week. You mm-hmm. must be doing something mm-hmm. and that something takes you to the next stage and the next stage. So I don't think that p- kids uh, should feel that pressure of I need to know exactly what I'm going to be. Some do. Some have got a really strong little light inside them and that's fabulous, but lots don't and they shouldn't feel that that means that they there's nothing they can do. There's always something. Do the thing you're interested in if, if you can. 
So maybe the maybe the take the take your path of a of of a pure bachelor art of arts degree and and not one of the professional degrees and and feel your way from there. If I finished school at seventeen, I just turned seventeen when exams started in year twelve, so I was a little younger than some are now, Mm -hmm. but I was probably even younger in the sense of being quite immature, and I needed just to keep growing. The wonderful thing about our high schools is that you. You do a very comprehensive, wide-ranging series of subjects and you slowly work your way into the ones that you like the most Mm -hmm. and you're quite good at. If it's possible to keep doing that in the form of a Bachelor of Science, a Mm -hmm. Bachelor of Arts, if it's possible, and I appreciate it's a luxury for a lot of people, Mm -hmm. then that's a great next step to take. Mm -hmm. And if you find you really like it and you're good at it, why not see if there's a path to keep going and, Mm -hmm. and do postgraduate work, which could be a master's, it could be a PhD, um, allow yourself to think as a high school student that that might be something you do. Don't lock yourself in, uh, but feel that you might have that capability and you might be interested and let yourself go on that journey. Mm. I just, I'm so conscious of how much harder it is now financially for for students and I, I feel for them. Uh, But if you start a professional degree and you really hate it, (laughs) <laughs> That's not a great place to be either. No. And if you just need a year or two, the great thing about universities is how flexible they are. Mm. So if you don't know what you want to do or you haven't quite got the ATAR to get you into the law or, or the engineering or whatever, start on a general degree, enjoy that first mm. year or two, do well, and then you can translate that yes. into the professional degree. And even though that means that you don't have the BA or the BSc, you do have what you've learnt doing it. Mm. So take advantage of the flexibility of our university system and I would say also the vocational system. It's not as integrated as I'd like, Mm -hmm. but you can start at TAFE and TAFE is excellent Mm. and has a lot of courses. And frankly, if you're looking at something like uh, being an electrician and you look at electrical engineers, the way that technology goes now, they are merging. Mm-hmm. So just because you think that at the moment you'd like to do something that is more labelled vocational doesn't mean that university won't be something you're interested in later. There's a lot of mm-hmm. pathways from TAFE. A lot of yeah. pathways. Yeah. So just enjoy all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so have you had a chance to reflect on your PhD journey before? Never. No. It <laughs> you was like I finished it and... In the past. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and now I'm being labelled Dr. Close in a political <laughs> attack. Um, and we are asking people, do you know where your thesis is in your house? I know it's yes. in a library. And but... do you know why I know where it is? Because you asked me what the title was and I couldn't remember. <laughs> <laughs> so you had to go Isn't find it. Ridiculous? <laughs> so, I went, oh. so I went and I took a photo of it and brought it into work so that I could type it in <laughs> and tell you both what it was called. I knew what it was about. I just couldn't remember what title I said it was. <laughs> so does it sit on a bookshelf or? Yes, yeah. yes. It, we have a, an office at home that uh, my partner and I both have little computers set up in and uh, and, uh, and actually we have books in every room. I've noticed that books are no longer a decorative item that you can go into people's houses. Who has the space? <laughs> <laughs> true, true. Um, but it's like they've been abandoned or abolished a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not – whereas when I look even in the bathrooms – there's something to read <laughs> <Yeah>. everywhere. <laughs> but, but yeah, the thesis sits uh, over in, in the corner along with my honours thesis. Oh, it's nice that I got an outing this week. To <laughs> <get that. laughs> um, and then the last question? Well, the last question is uh, really it's about myths 
that you hear about um, PhDs or academics, uh, something that you hear that you know not to be true and that you'd like to kind of uh, set the record straight on? Oh, well, I mean, I, I guess I said the kind of myth you don't want me to say, which is that uh, people assume you're smart and that doesn't necessarily <laughs> right? Or I guess there's different kinds of intelligence, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, or maybe a PhD shows one kind of intelligence. It, it 100% does. It's not like you can be a complete fool and get a PhD, <laughs> I presume. Uh, it's just it doesn't necessarily mean a very broad or uh, widely applicable intelligence. Uh, but I guess the myth is the inaccessibility of academics. And I'm lucky. I've, I've grown up with academics. Um, they're they're often quite interesting and strange people. (laughs) Uh, Eccentric is a word that leaps to mind. Uh, But they are lovely human beings. Uh, It's not a hugely well-paid, it's a a well-paid job, don't get me wrong, but it's not a hugely uh, well-paid or high-profile job. Mm -hmm. It's a job people do because they have a dedication to the subject Mm -hmm. and a dedication to passing that on to students. Mm -hmm. And so they tend to be just genuinely well-motivated caring about the students before them. So if you're a you know, if you're doing year 12 at the moment and you're contemplating going to uni and you find those academics just horrifyingly remote and you don't know how you could talk to them, mm. uh, that's not the right I'm sure there are a few. Oh, it's so thrilling when you get an email. It's like, you noticed me. You saw I was in this field and you emailed me. (laughs) That's gorgeous. But the vast majority of academics that I've known, being a student, and working at the University of Adelaide for a while and still some of my very good friends from there, they care about people. They care about their students in particular. Mm-hmm. So regard them as accessible and mm-hmm. also love talking about what they know about. So ask them questions. Ask <laughs> yeah. them questions. Yes. Yeah. What we have learned through this project is that academics like talking. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It's how to edge away politely. That's the skill that you need sometimes, isn't it? As opposed to on the and on the and a similar vein is is all those people that not necessarily teaching students but are doing what they love. For the good of humanity, yes. and they're not there out to destroy lives. Yeah. That, you know, especially yeah. when we think about science and anti-intellectualism at the mm. moment, is this whole? Oh, they're gonna all these people. They're killing us with their vaccines. It's like, no, no, no. These people have dedicated their entire life yeah. to helping. I am stunned that in a pandemic there are seriously anti-vaxxers still. Mm. Like yeah. the 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 idea that the one thing that could make this go away is not regarded as being a a good for people Mm. is remarkable. How can a vaccine be scarier than what we're experiencing right Right now? now. Exactly. (laughs) Or polio or smallpox or measles. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, yes, academics, the the researchers uh, are they're for the benefit of humanity almost exclusively mm-hmm. and they should be treated with respect. Totally, because you cannot ever step into a PhD and, and have that grit and motivation if all it is is about yourself. That's right. Yes, so, and then there's no pot of gold at the end of this either. So. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just not to say that academics can't be a little self-absorbed. <laughs> you know, yeah, 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 they're, yeah. they're humans. They're I not... have my moments. <laughs> But, you know, I've heard that politicians can like talking about themselves a bit too. I'm not sure if that's true. (laughs) Okay, Um, well, thank you so much. It's brilliant to hear from you. It's really amazing to hear from you and thank you for your time and your generosity and your stories and just thank you. Thank you. I've really enjoyed it. 
The very last thing that we should end with is a huge thank you to all of the people who came and gave their time to be interviewed for this um, podcast series. It's, very generous. It was very generous of them and it was so fascinating. And uh, after every interview, I felt so inspired <laughs> to be a researcher and, and to use my PhD. So it was a very eye-opening experience and a, um, a, a really interesting experience. Yes, and we're really very grateful to yeah. every single one of them. But we're also especially grateful to Dr. Sharon Pittman for yeah, telling who us, gave us the, about the, grant. <laughs> the inside story about the grant. Yes. yes, she gave us the inside story about the grant that we applied for and we got, which supported um, the production of this podcast. So thank you to Inspiring South Australia and to Sharon Uh, for your very generous um, support of our podcast. Thanks for listening to Career Sessions with Dr. Stephanie Champion and Dr. Tamara Agnew. If you like the show and want to know more, check out www.careersessions.com where you can send us your suggestions for future series and subscribe so you know when a new episode is posted. If you love it, tell all your friends and please leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks to our sponsor, Inspiring South Australia, for their generous support, and to our producer, Rory, at Podbooth. Join us next time when we talk careers with another leader in the field.